Our summaries this week contain two cases on civil procedure, both from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. In Bauer v. Beeman, 2023, ARC at 111, the Arkansas Court of Appeals considered a case where homebuyers, Beeman's, sued the sellers, Bauer's, and alleged undisclosed defects of mold and drainage problems justified rescission. There was a bench trial over rescission, which the trial court denied, but it continued and granted a damage award without allowance of a jury to decide damages. This case implicates the election of remedies and the right to a jury trial. Judge Klappenbach wrote, In May 2016, the Appellees, Jesse Lee and Mary A. Beeman, purchased a house from the appellants, Donnell and Marilyn Bauer. After the sale, the Beemans learned that poor soil conditions on an adjoining lot threatened the stability of their new property. They also learned that an improperly installed air conditioning condensate line and apparent pet soiling of a bedroom carpet caused a significant mold problem in the house. The Beemans filed a complaint alleging that the Bowers fraudulently failed to disclose the poor soil conditions on the lower lot as well as the conditions in the house that caused the mold. The complaint made an equitable claim for rescission and a legal claim for damages based on the alleged fraud. After a bench trial, the circuit court ruled that the Beemans waived rescission of the land transaction, but it awarded damages reimbursing them for costs they incurred to remediate the mold and to stabilize the hillside above the adjoining lot. The Bowers appealed the circuit court's judgment, arguing that reversal is warranted because the award of damages on the Beeman's legal claims violated their constitutional right to a jury trial, that the circuit court erred by awarding damages on a breach of contract theory that was not alleged in the complaint, and that the circuit court erred by awarding attorney's fees. The Beemans have filed a cross-appeal in which they argue that the circuit court erred by denying their request for rescission. We reverse and dismiss on the direct appeal and affirm on the cross-appeal. End of quote. Direct appeal. The circuit court denied rescission in the bench trial, and following denial of rescission, the lower court awarded money damages. This was error. Quote, the circuit court erred when it did not hold them bound by their election, and the consequence was a violation of the Bowers' fundamental right to a jury trial. Accordingly, because the Beeman's pursuit of their elected remedy failed, and their election stops them from pursuing their claim for damages, we reverse and dismiss the case on direct appeal. End of quote. Cross Appeal The Court of Appeals affirmed on Cross Appeal, the trial court acted properly in denying rescission, reasoned the Court of Appeals, involving more than a 12-month delay before making demand for rescission. Quote, the circuit court issued a letter opinion in which it rejected the Beeman's equitable rescission claim, finding that the Beeman's did not act with reasonable diligence in advising the sellers of their intent to rescind because the evidence shows the Beeman's were put on notice of the issue of mold shortly after taking possession. Further, conversations with Mr. Bauer indicate they were told about the wet weather issue with Lot 18 shortly after closing. They acted with intention to keep, maintain, and repair the property for at least 12 or more months. They engaged in mold eradication, hired engineers, excavators, and various repairs after taking possession. These acts of possession, repair, and reclamation are inconsistent with the intent to rescind 
and impaired the opportunity to restore the parties to their original position as nearly as possible. The circuit court also suggested that the Beeman's alleged justification for rescission lacked merit, finding that a failure to disclose issues about adjacent land does not equate to a material breach of contract. The circuit court also found, however, that the Beemans were entitled to damages, observing that it is undisputed the Bowers did not disclose the issue with the adjoining lot and slope, which the circuit court ruled was a breach of contract. The court awarded the Beemans damages for the reclamation of the hillside spent by the Beemans in the amount of $30,950, as well as the GTS report and recommendations in the amount of $5,900. Rescission is a drastic remedy that sets aside a contractual relationship. Accordingly, one who desires to rescind upon the ground of fraud or deceit must, as soon as he discovers the truth, announce his purpose at once, adhere to it, and act with reasonable diligence so that all parties may be restored to their original position as nearly as possible. End of quote. Judge Hickson, who was joined by Judge Brown, dissented, quote, while the antiquated cleanup doctrine has been abolished, the real question in this appeal is whether a circuit court that has original jurisdiction of all justiciable matters can still award money, monetary damages or cleanup damages in a case where historically the remedies sought are equitable in nature. That is the case before us. That answer is clearly yes. In count one, the Beemans alleged a breach of warranty and requested equitable rescission of the contract. However, a simple rescission would not restore the Beemans to their pre-contract position. To that end, the Beemans also prayed for damages for closing costs, interest paid, real estate taxes and insurance, and other related costs to restore them to their pre-contract position, i.e. cleanup damages. In using its flexibility and creativity and equity, the circuit court, after finding the Bowers had breached the contract, fashioned a remedy and awarded the Beemans some of the cost of remediation for soil and mold in the combined amount of $56,574.35. Additionally, because the court found there was a breach of contract, the circuit court awarded attorney's fees. I cannot find that the court committed reversible error. In fact, I would hold that the circuit court in this complicated case acted judiciously and intelligently and followed the law precisely. Thus, I would affirm. End of quote. End of decision. In Cogburn v. Marsh, 2023, ARC App 114, the Arkansas Court of Appeals, in reversing and dismissing, held defendants, husband and wife, never waived a failure to receive the summons, despite appearing in a hearing four days after purported service in a temporary restraining order hearing. The trial court held by appearing with the husband making argument pro se, there was a waiver. The appellate court ruled there could be no waiver on the fourth day after service, and in any event, the husband, who was not an attorney, could not waive service for the wife. The plaintiff's counsel conceded no summons was ever served. Judge Gruber wrote, Mark Cogburn and Caitlin Cogburn appealed the July 19, 2021 orders denying their motion to dismiss and granting the motion for default judgment filed by Appley William T. Marsh, Jr. The Cogburns raised three points on appeal. One, they never waived lack of jurisdiction. Two, 
In the absence of service of process, the orders appealed from are void. And three, they did not waive their objections by appearing at the hearings. The first and third points on appeal are essentially the same, and the second rises and falls with the resolution of the first and third. Thus, the issue before us is whether the circuit court erred in determining that the Cogburns waived the affirmative defense of insufficiency of service of process such that the circuit court acquired personal jurisdiction over them. The Cogburns' points are well taken, and we reverse and dismiss. This case originated as a property dispute between the Cogburns and Marsh. The Cogburns purchased real property adjacent to Marsh in May 2019. On October 23, 2019, Marsh filed a complaint against both Cogburns seeking an injunction, declaratory relief, a temporary restraining order, or TRO, and to quiet title, claiming that he had acquired a portion of the Cogburns' real property through adverse possession or, alternatively, boundary line by acquiescence. On November 1st, Ms. Cogburn was hand-delivered papers at home by a process server. Mr. Cogburn was not at home. Thereafter, two returns of service were filed. As such, Marsh and the circuit court believed the Cogburns had been properly served. However, it was ultimately determined that the papers delivered to Ms. Cogburn were a copy of the complaint, the TRO, and a hearing notice for November 5. No summonses were ever served on either Cogburn. Three hearings were held in this matter. On November 5, 2019, a hearing was held on the petition to continue the TRO. Both Cogburns were present without legal representation. Mr. Cogburn took the stand. Ms. Cogburn did not. On February 25, 2020, a hearing was held on the motion for default judgment that had been filed by Marsh on December 23, 2019, at which Mr. Cogburn was present without legal representation. A May 21, 2021 hearing was held on the Cogburn's motion to dismiss, filed on March 5, 2020. Counsel for the Cogburns appeared, having entered an appearance on February 5. Marsh was represented by an attorney for the entirety of the proceedings before the circuit court. On July 19, 2021, the circuit court entered two orders, one denying the Cogburns' motion to dismiss and one granting Marsh's motion for default judgment. In the order denying the motion to dismiss, the court concluded that it had acquired jurisdiction over the Cogburns at the November hearing because the Cogburns waived the issue of personal service by appearing and participating at the November hearing, asking the court to make a finding in their favor and failing to raise an objection to personal jurisdiction. The court granted Martian's motion for default judgment because the Cogburns did not file a response of pleading within 30 days of service of the complaint. This timely appeal followed. End of quote. Waiver of Service The Court of Appeals disagreed with the Circuit Court's finding that defendants waived service of process. Quote, On appeal, the Cogburns argue that they did not waive their affirmative defenses, and the Circuit Court never acquired personal jurisdiction over them. Marsh responds that by attending the November and February hearings, failing to object to personal jurisdiction at either hearing, and requesting affirmative relief at the hearings, the Cogburns waived service of process and submitted to the court's jurisdiction. The circuit court concluded that it acquired personal jurisdiction over the Cogburns at the November hearing. 
The Cogburns contend that their attendance at the November hearing could not have waived their affirmative defenses because, even assuming proper service occurred on November 1, there was still ample time remaining for them to file a response of pleading under our rules of civil procedure. We agree. The circuit court's conclusion does not comport with the pleading requirements set out by our rules of civil procedure. The Cogburns are entitled to 30 days, not four days, to respond to a lawsuit and assert affirmative defenses, either within response of pleading or a motion. Arkansas Rule of Civil Procedure 12. Marsh sought a TRO and injunctive relief, which required that the matter be set for a hearing at the earliest possible time under Arkansas Rule of Civil Procedure 65, but does not deprive the Cogburns of those rights or truncate the time permitted by our rules for asserting such. The Circuit Court also partially relied on conduct engaged in by the Cogburns at the February 2020 hearing to conclude that it had attained a personal jurisdiction over the Cogburns at the November 2019 hearing. That was an error. The Cogburns cannot waive an affirmative defense on the basis of conduct they had yet to engage in. Marshall essentially argues that because neither of the Cogburns said, I object to personal jurisdiction, they have somehow failed to do so. There are no mandatory magic words, and the Cogburns are not required to explicitly contest personal jurisdiction. Service-related objections may be waived by participating in an action. Our case law does not hold that they are waived. A determining factor in that regard is whether the Cogburns sought affirmative relief. End of quote. Acts that may constitute waiver. The Court of Appeals discussed actions that may constitute waiver of an objection to service, but noted none of them were present in this case. Quote, a party may waive a service challenge by actively participating in an action without objecting to the alleged insufficiency of service. A determining factor in deciding whether a defendant has waived his rights and entered an appearance is whether the defendant seeks affirmative relief. A request for affirmative relief that waives a challenge to sufficiency of process is something more than a defensive action that is inconsistent with the defendant's assertion that the circuit court lacked personal jurisdiction over him. The most obvious examples are counterclaims, cross-claims, and third-party claims, in which a defendant invokes the jurisdiction of the court and thereby submits to it. We have also suggested that a motion for a stay of a final divorce hearing or a motion for additional time to locate a fugitive for a bond forfeiture hearing demonstrate the sort of affirmative relief that may waive personal jurisdiction. When service is not made in a manner provided for in Rule 4, the service and the judgment entered thereon are void ab initio. End of quote. Here, defendants newly retained counsel filed a motion to dismiss. While plaintiff argued defendants waived service in appearing in the first hearing and others and made arguments on his own behalf, this was insufficient. Quote, Marsh argues that Mr. Cogburn waived both his and Ms. Cogburn's affirmative defenses because Mr. Cogburn asked the court for affirmative relief at the November hearing. The stated and sole purpose of the November hearing, as confirmed by both Marsh's counsel and the court, was to maintain the status quo regarding a fence located on the Cogburn property at issue. Mr. Cogburn testified that he, his wife, and farm credit on the real property at issue. At that juncture, there was no affirmative relief for the Cogburns to seek. While Mr. Cogburn did testify that the court should deny the relief requested by Marsh, the court was clear that it was not addressing the merits of Marsh's underlying claims. 
Moreover, in doing so, Mr. Cogburn was maintaining a defensive posture, not seeking affirmative relief. End quote. The opinion noted that in the November hearing four days following service, the issues were limited to the TRO and defendant could not have waived anything. Quote, the court specifically said, Mr. and Ms. Cogburn, you've got to leave the fence alone until we get in here and have a trial on the merits. And that certainly gives you an opportunity to, of course, to get an attorney and file the paperwork that you need to do. The Cogburns had no reason to understand, know, or believe that in attending a hearing within four days of being delivered a complaint, they had somehow waived their due process rights. It cannot be said that Mr. Cogburn had full knowledge of the material facts and then voluntarily abandoned a right known by him to exist with the intent that he should forever be deprived of its benefits. We fail to see how Mr. Cogburn was asking for affirmative relief when he did not even understand the nature of the claim that was being made against him and his wife. End of quote. As to the wife, quote, at most Miss Cogburn attended the November hearing but did not speak. Given this, as well as the fact that Mr. Cogburn is not an attorney and cannot represent the legal interest of anyone other than himself in a court of law, there is no evidence that Miss Cogburn waived her affirmative defenses. End of quote. End of decision.